listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. During the course of this year, the lectionary has us working primarily in the Gospel according to Mark, At a few points, it does change course, delves into John. Tonight is one of those. And in fact, this marks the beginning of a five-week sojourn in this, the sixth chapter of the Gospel according to John. Tonight, we've been given not just one, but two well-known episodes, the feeding of the multitudes and Jesus walking on the water. While at first glance they may seem to have been only very casually linked, first this happened and then that happened, John is anything but a casual storyteller. Now, the story of the feeding of the multitudes is actually the only miracle story that appears in all four of the Gospels. In fact, in both Matthew and Mark, there's a story of the feeding of the 5,000 and a story of the feeding of the 4,000. While the details vary amongst these various versions the Gospelers offer, for instance, Matthew says, those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. John says that they sat down about 5,000 in all. So they're just holding details a little differently. But the basic gist remains. Crowds of people have followed Jesus and the disciples out into a remote place to seek his healing and his teaching. And in time, it becomes evident that they have come without food and that they need to eat. The disciples are quite clueless as to what to do about this. Jesus simply, as the crowds sit down, he takes out what little food he has, blesses it, breaks it, and begins to distribute it. And what do you know? There's enough for everyone with leftovers to boot. Jesus has performed a remarkable miracle. Everyone's tummy is filled. Everyone is happy. What more do you want than that? Well, there is actually a good deal more to it particularly when the connection is made to the story of Jesus walking on the water, as John does here. As is so often the case, the way that John tells his story is packed with layers of meaning, often just signaled by a single word. So, John alone, of all the four Gospelers, notes that the Passover The festival of the Jews was near. It's a seemingly small detail. You might just skip it over. In fact, did anybody notice it as it was read aloud? Nope, right? But it's actually quite key to understanding what John wants us to understand about Jesus. In the chapter just prior to what we heard tonight, Jesus had been in Jerusalem where he'd been challenged by opponents who claimed that he was a Sabbath breaker, a law breaker, because he'd healed a man on the Sabbath day. So there's a dispute. And as the dispute ends, 
Jesus says to them that if they actually understood Moses, they would not be bringing these accusations. Then, right away, we're into this story tonight, set at Passover time, a time uniquely associated with Moses. So having made that connection, John then tells a story in a way that positively sings with Passover and Exodus kinds of themes. John says that having crossed the Sea of Galilee, Jesus went up the mountain and sat down with his disciples. Not Jesus went up a hill or Jesus went up a mountain. Jesus went up the mountain. Not only that, but after the crowd is fed, John tells us that Jesus again withdrew to the mountain. Now, in the ancient Passover and Exodus story, there is only one the mountain, Mount Sinai, the place where Moses came into the presence of God to receive the law, the Torah, by which this fledgling Israel was to learn how to actually be Israel. So in that wilderness place, by the mountain, these people who've come to hear Jesus are hungry. They're in need of food, very much as the escaped Hebrew slaves had been hungry and in need of food when they crossed the Red Sea and looked around and said, ha, not much here. When Jesus asks his disciples where they might go to buy food to feed this great crowd, Philip answers, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get even a little. Impossible, in other words, which is not unlike what the freed slaves grumbled to Moses. We'll never find food out here in the desert. You've brought us out here to starve. We should have remained slaves. This is impossible and impossibly bad. Yet, when Jesus takes five barley loaves and two fish, and gives thanks and begins to distribute them, there is indeed enough. There's more than enough. Everyone is filled like manna in the wilderness. When they gather up what's left after everyone has had their fill, 12 baskets are filled. 12. Now that is the important number in ancient Israel, in the Hebrew Scriptures. And it's connected to the 12 tribes of Israel. It is the number of fullness. 12 tribes, the very people freed from slavery in Egypt. 12 baskets left over after all had eaten in the wilderness near Passover time. The Hebrew slaves had been freed by an escape through the Red Sea, by crossing through waters that otherwise would have drowned them. There are two water crossings in tonight's text begins with Jesus and the disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee and going to the mountain. And then it ends with the disciples trying to again cross that same lake to Capernaum, but getting caught in a storm. How do they finally get across? Jesus comes to them across the water, which actually rather terrifies them. It is I, he says, do not be afraid. They wanted to take him into the boat, John says, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going, their own dangerous, impossible Red Sea-like crossing. 
Now, I should note that I was alerted to all of these connections, the way that John seems to so very intentionally shape his story to echo that ancient story. I was alerted to that by the New Testament scholar Brian Peterson, who offers one more link in his comments on the passage. We ought to remember, Peterson writes, that the Passover was a festival of national liberation from a foreign oppressor. As John tells the story, after everyone had been fed in the wilderness, quote, Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, so he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They are so awed by what they've just experienced that they decide, ah, this is the one. This is the one who has the power and the capacity to free us from Rome. Revolution. Passover is loaded with political as well as religious significance, particularly when it was marked at a time when the land was again occupied by a foreign nation, an empire. So they've had this experience, food in the wilderness, abundance, and they've leapt to the conclusion that this Jesus is the man who will free them from that empire, a new Passover. So Peterson continues, It is an act of revolution to want to make Jesus king. But they've missed the point of what has happened. They see Jesus' gracious gift, but they want a glory for him that fits their assumptions and serves their goals. It's very similar to when the crowds greet him with cries of Hosanna, save us, as he enters Jerusalem on the donkey. They are quite right to call out for him to save them. They are quite right about his being king, but they don't yet begin to understand what that will all mean. John is particularly clear on this. Jesus is indeed king, and Jesus is indeed Passover lamb. It's a kind of a thread that runs through his whole long narrative. But you know, there's one other detail that's unique to John's telling, and it's a little bit more on the surface than all these Passover-Exodus connections. It's the figure of the boy. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? This boy has come to Andrew with his lunch, to share it with as many as could share. And while Andrew is clearly skeptical about this, look what the kid brought, it is for Jesus quite enough. It's in keeping with the sweep of the whole gospel story, of course, unless you become like a child. And to such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. It's like blind Bartimaeus, standing on the side of the road begging and being the one in the crowd who can actually see who Jesus is as he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd tries to hush the blind man, but no, he knows, he can see through his blindness that the source of his healing is near. Like the little boy prepared to offer his lunch, in spite of the skepticism 
of the disciples. It's such a lovely little detail. Here, take my lunch. What's that? It's enough. So where's your lunch? I mean, we can get overwhelmed by the enormity of the world's needs or our own city's needs or maybe even the needs of our friends and neighbors. And we can throw up our hands and say, what, what could I possibly do? What could I possibly do to make any difference in those lives or this city or this world? What good are five little loaves and two fish among so many hungry people? Well, evidently in the economy of Jesus, enough. Abundance begins with the little boy's lunch. So where is yours? Where is ours? What gift might you have to share, however small you might think it is? What expression of compassion do you have to offer to someone who is sad or hurting? What extra mile can you go for someone? Or, you know, like if your emotional batteries are really low and you're not in the best space yourself, maybe what extra 10 meters can you go for somebody else? Don't ever underestimate the importance of the little things, of the lunch bag. Because as we heard at the end of the epistle, and as we proclaim in slightly different words every Sunday as we end our liturgy, now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to God be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, whose power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. And that within us again begs the question, where's your lunch? Because it might be time to break it out. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.